Welcome back, everyone. Fresh out of the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I haven't pulled up the notes yet, and that's as far as I've memorized. <laughs> oh, no. And I'm Wade. <laughs> um, Cinema Bums is a podcast where we threw... <laughs> Watch me try and do this without notes. I am so bad at this stuff. Like, classically trained actor. Terrible. Terrible at memorizing stuff and saying it in front of a screen. I today had to do like 12 takes of the Mended Wing GoFundMe Ask video. By the way, Mended Wing Theater Company, quick plug. (laughs) Go visit our GoFundMe and our website. Obviously, I don't know what our website is. Don't even ask me. Here we go. Fresh out the oven. It's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Luckily, neither Wade nor I will ever change. So don't you worry about that, dear listener. Today, we are continuing our miniseries, (laughs) Webhead Summer. We're beginning... (laughs) We're beginning our mini series. I am editing this on the fly. <laughs> Truly, a servant to the old uh, the old teleprompter here. This uh, this is my Ron Burgundy moment. Today we are beginning our new mini series, Webhead Summer. Is that what we're going with? Covering every Spider-Man film. <laughs> we will fully spoil today's film, Spider-Man, but we will not spoil. Spider-Man, I should say, in in parentheses, 1977, and lest there be any confusion mm-hmm. down the road about this. But we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Wade, after all of that, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really good, Emmett. I feel like we've come home in a certain sort of way. Me too! For the first time in a year and a half... <laughs> Since the beginning of this podcast, it's just the two of us talking about bad superhero movies. Yes, I know! We're really back to our roots. <laughs> oh my god, it was... When I was watching first this, but especially when I was watching Spider-Man 2002, I was like, oh my god, we are right back in it. It felt like having the red carpet <laughs> rolled out for me and being welcomed home. It was <laughs> amazing. Cinema Bums Homecoming. Oh my god, it is! It is a Cinema Bums Homecoming. Back where it all began <laughs> with that lovely Marvel logo. Truly. Although we don't get we don't quite get that yet in this one. But let's get into it. Wade, what is your history <laughs> with your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? What's the deal? What's up? <laughs> As I think I've said on this podcast before, I was always a DC kid growing up, so Mm -hmm. I didn't really read much Marvel or play the games or or watch much stuff other than the movies. And on the movie side, I was much more the X-Men, which we've covered before, than I was at length. a lot of these early Spider-Man. I had never seen this 77 movie before. Uh I saw all of the Raimi movies, I think, once as a kid. And I liked them just fine, but they weren't something I was super into. I know a lot of people of our generation, and I think maybe like five years above us Mm. are like so into those Raimi movies. Yeah. But as a kid, I wasn't so much. I actually really liked the Amazing Spider-Man movies because I was sort of in high school when they Mm. came out. Mm -hmm. and they are in high school, and I like that those movies are, you know, about a romance, no future spoilers. So I would say, like, from then on, I've been a little more tuned into the Spider-Man. Obviously, he's very big right now, and on, like, the comic side, I read a lot of the Miles Morales comics. Okay, I haven't read as much, like, Peter Parker stuff, but... I was reading that for a long time, which I really enjoyed. So, you know, I really like him. I like the colorful world and the bad guys and Mm -hmm. the romance, which I kind of forgot, like, how much a part Peter's love interest is in most of these movies, even this 1977 one, which was pretty cool. But Emmett, what about you? What, What is your history with the old web slinger? Interestingly, I have had a prejudice against Spider Man since i was a kid this could be because of my personal horror of spiders i'm like totally creeped out and freaked (laughs) out by spiders in like 
like a, a truly visceral way, which I'm sure Wade can attest to seeing me do some physically impossible <laughs> things true. to get out of the way of a but spider before. As a kid, I think I was like kind of eh on those. I had seen the movies, but I had seen it after I had seen movies like X2 and Van Helsing, which are not movies that I would say are good, but they are movies which I would say have two things which really appeal to young Emmett, fighting and Hugh Jackman. And those two things combined (laughs) (laughs) were like more than, yeah, I mean, it was just like, okay, sold, I'm there. I think as we've attested to in our rave review of X-Men Origins Wolverine, any movie that has both Hugh Jackman (laughs) and fighting slaps. So, you know, it's good. See my uh, letterboxed review of Real Steel. Just kidding. I I didn't do that, but I had to say it. Even though they were on the same team, you were like, no, I like the X-Men. I hate Spider-Man. Well, I wasn't like, I hate Spider-Man, but I was just like, I thought my view of him from the comics was that he is less serious and I was a serious child. I liked serious things. Uh, I was mm. like, the X-Men seem like a real dark, gritty superhero team. And they are in the comics, especially like when I was a kid in the mid 2000s, I was reading the comics from the mid 80s. Like I was picking those up at like thrift shops and stuff and thought that those were like it for X-Men. And so like I was reading like the really dark, gritty stuff from the 80s and was like, oh, this is sweet. This is what real superheroes are like. And I think that may have bled over onto my read of the movies more than is actually stood up for by the movies themselves. But yes, at the time I was like, Spider-Man is like kind of a goofball. There's he's surrounded by all of these, you know, serious superheroes. And he's always joking. I'd seen the Toby Mag- first Toby Maguire one once. Never seen any of the other ones. OK. Had seen maybe both Andrew Garfield movies, but just been like, I don't really care. This is just a movie I'm seeing because it's there in theaters. Like I didn't have any special connection to it. It was like, I would go and watch Fast and the Furious. Same thing. I would go and watch Spider-Man. I've been drawn into the Tom Holland Spider-Man more and more, not through his movies, but through that character's involvement in the late stage uh, Marvel franchise, mm. especially like his relationship with Tony in Infinity War and Endgame. That's like a big part of why that movie works, even for like all the other stuff that I've often criticized about it. His performance in particular is so like raw and real. And I've loved Tom Holland as well yeah. in Devil All the Time, even though that movie is cursed and horrible. I mean, he's incredible. Uh, just a really good actor. I walked out of Uncharted, but it was certainly not because of Tom Holland's performance. (laughs) (laughs) How far did you make it? Did you make it to the Papa John scene? I did not make it 20 minutes. I don't think I saw a Papa John scene. That's about 30 minutes in to the hour and a half movie. (laughs) I was so done with that movie so early on. I was like... I was surprised. I was shocked at how early one could be over it because it seemed like a really cool premise to me. I never played any of the games. Seemed like a cool premise, but whatever. We've thoroughly digressed. That's my history with Spider-Man. I'd never seen this one before. I was excited to, to peek behind the scenes a little bit. We were kind of between this and Batman for this big summer series. I think I would have enjoyed the Batman movies more, or at least that's what I did think going in. But now I think this is kind of fun, splashy, exciting, and really like, truly back in the incomprehensible superhero movie zone so oh yeah i i agree too even though i was more personally connected to batman growing up i also like you have kind of like a personal connection to some of the more recent tom holland movies and really like that and a big reason i like spider-man right now in particular is because i live in queens new york where spider-man is from Uh uh-huh And it's really fascinating to see how all of the different movies portray Queens and New York City in general. Oh, interesting. Varies greatly depending on like what decade we're in. So we're going to talk about that on the next episode because I would like to submit Spider-Man 2002 as a great New York movie. Perhaps the Mm. great New York movie. Well, have you ever seen Shaft? No, I haven't. Have you seen the original no, Shaft? I haven't seen it. I don't know about New York. Okay, well, that's okay, because this movie doesn't either. It was pretty much all filmed in Los Angeles. <laughs> Spider-Man's movie. Yeah, no so kidding. Good. I was watching this thing, and I kept being like, 
wow, they just had the most perfect day in New York over and over and over again. Like, did they film it all in the one nice, sunny, clear day in New York? And then I looked it up and it was like, no, it's all in Los Angeles. (laughs) Yeah. Also, they live in like Aunt May lives in like a three story house. That's the size of size of a building in Queens. I doubt it. Is that what they live in in the 70s one? Yeah, do you, I think we only see an exterior of it once. First of all, his room in this 70s one looks like a warehouse, basically. <laughs> There's like all the crazy random piles up of stuff. But yeah, you see the outside of it and it's like three stories tall and it wraps around the whole corner of the neighborhood. Oh, man. Nothing about this movie made any sense to me. I felt the entire time as if I was in a delirious <laughs> haze. It it felt like... Okay, so you know you know um, Victory in Atlanta? It felt like going there and sitting there for like three hours while having drinks with friends and looking up and like watching the same movie on a loop over those three hours. Uh, like catching uh-huh. bits of it at a time. That's what the experience <laughs> of watching this movie was like. And I sat through the whole thing. Well, it has a very disorienting introduction after the opening credits because the movie starts with like I even forget what it is. I think it's like a doctor mid-surgery and a lawyer mid-court case and you have no idea who these people are and then like the clock strikes a certain time and they both like get catatonic walk out of what they're respectively doing. They like silently get in a car, rob a bank get back in the car and drive the car into a wall. And that's like the first five minutes of Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man by Denny Villeneuve. From there on out, you're like, what is going on here? Yeah. Show Don't Tell is the name of the game with this one. <laughs> okay, well, I don't want to I don't want to talk about the samurai yet, but <laughs> we got to talk about the samurai later. The mind boggles. It simply reels. One cannot fathom (laughs) how this decision was made. But yes, please tell us more about the stats first. Okay, so depending on what country and or age you grew up in, you might be very confused about what we're talking about today, even more than usual. But what we're talking about is this movie called Spider-Man. There was a TV movie made by CBS and released September 14th, 1977. Four months after Star Wars. A movie of equal quality to this, I would say. You know what is shockingly similar to this movie and Star Wars besides the budget? All of the shots of people walking down hallways. You want to do something? Let's just have a guy walk away and we're going to follow him. And he's not going to walk quick either. I also think that Nicholas Hammond has a certain uh, Mark Hamill-esque quality to his mm-hmm. performance in this movie. A very just sort of like unflappable everyman plainness about him. He is shockingly plain. And I think that's what works about him. <laughs> Okay, so this is the first live-action movie about Spider-Man. Now, it was made to test interest for a TV show that eventually was made and was called The Amazing Spider-Man. Ran for 13 episodes on CBS from April 1978 until July 1979. This movie, pretty fresh on the heels of Spider-Man in general. You know, he's created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. In 1962, there was an animated show in the late 60s. I guess he was in little segments on The Electric Company. There were little Spider-Man skits before this. Hmm. Mid-70s, CBS, they've got The Incredible Hulk show. They've got a Doctor Strange show. They've got Captain America. They've got the Wonder Woman uh, show. They're in the business of doing this. Stanley sells them the rights to make a Spider-Man show. And to test the water for that, they make this movie. Now, everywhere other than the United States, this was released theatrically and called The Amazing Spider-Man Okay, in Europe and Japan and other territories. The TV show didn't air internationally either, so it was spliced up and released, re-edited into two other movies that came out the next two years. 
Spider-Man Strikes Back and Spider-Man The Dragon's Challenge. So if you lived in Europe, that's probably what you're familiar with. And this you're familiar with this is The Amazing Spider-Man. But here in America, it was just called Spider-Man. It's an hour and 28 minute movie released on CBS. It was the most seen CBS production of all of 1977. Directed by E.W. Swackhammer, who was a big TV guy. How could he not be? <laughs> to mash, bewitched, murder, she wrote. He directed the Law and Order pilot. <laughs> he really brought the Swackhammer to that one. Wow. Wow. Written by Alvin Boretz, who is another. Big TV guy, especially in like old school cop shows, detective shows, Uh, doctor shows. You can see that influence on this for sure. Neither of them come back to do the TV show, which I gather is kind of different. The TV show also uh, recasts Aunt May and J. Jonah Jameson from the movie. And the last thing I want to mention, and because this is probably the most (laughs) mentionable, is that the score for this was by Johnny Spence was a really well-known orchestrator of other people's work. He only ever composed three scores, but one of them is this, and it is such like a funky, such a funky score that immediately sets the tone for what's going on here. And is like the only thing that makes the movie comprehensible. I think in any way. The music is, Mm -hmm. you're just like, oh, so it's this vibe now. Okay, got it. And then you're like, (laughs) you're like, all right samurai that's cool (laughs) (laughs) do you want to try and explain anything about this plot or i mean okay i do i do want to try just a little bit of this plot um so as wade said there is the beginning sequence with the two respectable businessmen of different sorts robbing a bank and then they crash the car and two dudes get the money that they got and they're like haha we got away with it again And from that, you are to gather that they have been mind controlling these men, like honorable members of society and forcing them to rob banks for them to make to for get rich quick scheme. And so you're like, okay, like kind of follow that at at a certain point that all of that becomes clear enough. Then this guy who's like a Gerald Ford impersonator walks on stage and he's like, I'm a positivity guru. And you're like, well, there can't be anything weird going on with that. It turns out he's (laughs) the one brainwashing people. And he is also somehow going to make them kill themselves unless the city gives him $10 million and they're going to give it to an undisclosed location and he's going to get away with it. Like, I don't see how it could possibly go wrong. Oh, no, Spider-Man's there. And Spider-Man, who is a complete dunce in this film. I mean, like, really crashes himself into some trees (laughs) trying to swing on his web. Is always, like, looking behind him to make sure nobody's there when he's walking on walls and stuff. Somehow saves the day by fighting Samurai. And when I tell you that I don't know how the Samurai even physically wind up where they are. (laughs) I just don't know. It is, it is baffling. I mean, they were like, okay, so obviously this guy has some sort of cool guards, but we don't have an idea that really works with the whole mind control thing, I guess. (laughs) So we're just going to go with guys in martial arts suits with wooden samurai swords beating a spider-man to death with sticks <laughs> yeah so there is exactly one action scene <laughs> in this hour and a half movie there is only one action scene which lasts about three minutes and honestly it's pretty good that's what i was yeah it's, it's pretty, pretty well pretty choreographed cool. <laughs> but it comes an hour in it's not the climax of the movie an hour in Spider-Man walks into a room, and from behind him, three samurai just walk out. But not one at a time! Oh no! Oh no! You get first one samurai's there, and you're like, oh, this is probably a problem for Spider-Man. And then, (laughs) out from behind another pillar, there pops another samurai, and you're like, okay, Spider-Man, you're in a tight spot. And then, he turns around, and there's a third one there! It's great. It's honestly great. Best scene by far. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, and then Spider-Man sort of saves the day. I don't really, I don't really remember exactly I what. Don't remember exactly end. how. Or at the end of the movie, it seems it's like somebody's walking someone to a car, and then it just cuts to credits. There is no button on this film. No, no, there's a good little button. There's a good little button, which is J. Jonah Jameson asks Peter Parker, Hey, how come you get pictures of Spider-Man and nobody else gets pictures of Spider-Man? And Peter Parker looks at the camera and he says, Simple, I believe in Spider-Man. And then funky music starts playing and it freeze frames and the credits start rolling. Wow. What I can't imagine movie. how you forgot that. I can't imagine how I would have forgotten that. <laughs> what else is there to say about it? Wade, Spider-Man, 1977, Flopper Pop. Honestly, a bop. Honestly, a bop. I really liked this movie. Don't at me. I'm not going to recommend anyone else watch this movie, but I personally really enjoyed it. I think part of that is that I came in with rock bottom expectations. I was like, this thing is a TV movie from the 70s. It's only on YouTube. It was never even like officially released on DVD or digital or anything. We're watching basically like a scan of someone's TV VHS recording that they uploaded to YouTube of this thing. But I ended up sort of really liking it. I kind of like the weird changes it makes to the mythology. In this, Peter is a grad student. He's like late 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's already much older. And there's no sort of Uncle Ben in the picture. Like there isn't sort of much of a tragic element to this movie. Yeah, It's all sort of grounded for me because I really do like Nicholas Hammond as Peter Parker. And even though so much of the rest of the movie is like different vibes from the usual Spider-Man mythology... He feels like he is acting how Peter Parker would act in those circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Peter Parker was a late 20s grad student in the 70s, <laughs> this is how he would act. And if they didn't have any budget for web slinging, so instead he mostly like did some science-y detective stuff for a little bit. I mean, also, like, huge portions of this movie are about Peter Parker just needing to earn $46 so he can pick up a package. And the package is not important. He eventually earns enough money and gets the package. There's nothing relevant to the plot that was in the package. He's just a dude who needs money. It's just (laughs) a realistic... I mean, the dialogue in this movie is so piss poor that it is incredible that they thought... (laughs) To add in the idea that he would have something going on in his life, even as small as it being a package that he needs to pick up. It's not just that. It's also that he has forgotten to take his allergy pills and it is spring in New York, which is a relatable thing. That is so, so relatable. This whole thing where like Spider-Man, Sneezing. Spider-Man can't climb up the wall quite so well because he forgot to take his allergy pills. Oh my God. Him sneezing and getting detected. Is so funny. Um, I don't know. I really enjoyed this. Emmett, flop or bop to the 77 Spider-Man? No, it's a definite bop. <laughs> no joke. It really is. That music, it slaps. I don't know what is going on in it ever, but it's fun. This is totally the kind of movie that you put on in the background of a party and no one complains at all. Somebody's going to be weird and sit there and watch it the whole time. It's probably me. You know, everybody else is going to be like, oh, that's weird and fun, but enjoy it. Like, just like enjoy looking over at it and seeing it and enjoy the music that's going on underneath it. A good movie to put on in a bar. A great movie to just have on anywhere at all times ever. (laughs) Could be the background. But not so great of a movie to be actively watching is what I'm hearing Yeah, no, no, it's like it. I, it's it's strange because I wouldn't even say that it's not worth your attention. It's simply that your attention will slide off of this movie like water around some sort of hard and slippery object. It will not hold it. It is impossible. <laughs> As evidenced by the fact that neither Wade nor me can remember how this movie actually wraps up. It's kind of remarkable. Yeah. Just for my own attention span, uh-huh. I, I never 
watch anything with my phone. I like always yeah. put my phone down and across the room. So I don't really have distractions. And while watching this, like every five minutes I was pressing up on the remote to see how much was left, even though I was really liking it because I was just like, it feels like it's taking so long by modern standards. And you're not sure like where things are really leading often. Yeah. But it's an enjoyable vibe. Like the world feels fully formed and you're meeting all of these weird characters who keep coming back and are just like enjoying hanging out in that weird sort of 70s funky presence. Yeah. Also, also, we should say, in my opinion, the most stylish Spider-Man, mm. at least the most stylish Peter Parker. Yeah. The Spider-Man costume. The eyes are kind of weird. But as Peter Parker... He looks great, and he has many costumes. I feel like this is just one of those sets where people were saying yes to everything. They were like, yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. That's a great idea. Let's do it. Uh And it comes together as like a really positive feeling movie. Even the villain is a positivity guru. It's just a good vibe. There's no rational reason why it should be enjoyable. It is very positive. (laughs) Even though it is mostly about suicide and about like forced mind control suicide. Yeah. (laughs) Which is wild. It's, yeah. Maybe we should segue here into our villain report. Ooh. ooh. Talking about the bad guy of this movie. The villain report. Byron, what did you think of Byron and his his dastardly scheme? Honestly, this is part of why I loved this movie. Like, it's so on the nose for the 1970s for it to be an evil positivity guru who is making people kill themselves <laughs> to extort money from the government. I mean, how could it be better than that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that... The, the thing that the thing that I feel like the young the young and uncultured listener might not know is that in the 70s that sort of <laughs> stuff was happening all the time this was not like a a right. like sort of fantasy world of this that's I mean that stuff was happening in Southern California constantly and as you say even though this is supposedly Queens it does have a very socal vibe so I think like that has a lot to do with mm-hmm. it as well. And a lot to do with just, like, why it feels, like, so light and fun, too. What do you think about our villain, the old Gerald Ford impersonator? I mean, I think that his plan is executed pretty effectively. The performance is okay, not necessarily anything to write home about. When you think about the actual plan, it's it's insane. (laughs) But the way in which it depicts it is kind of good i mean what is even happening he is mind controlling people who are paying for his guru classes to rob banks and then kill themselves basically and then his little goons jump out that by the way that that is accomplished exclusively through driving into an alley in new york which is how you know that this movie is shot in socal because there are no alleys that you can drive a car into in new york the alley that they drive into is always also noticeably the same alley because they only had one back lot in la that they could shoot on (laughs) yes that stuff is great so that's what he's doing. And then he also is telling the city that he's going to have 10 random people, seemingly random. Of uh, course, they're all his patients. But right. We'll know that. Right. He's going to have 10 people kill themselves at the same time on Friday uh-huh. if the government doesn't pay him $50 million, which is like just kind of a weird thing because he's already getting a ton of money and having people kill themselves like with no repercussions i think they're not killing themselves i think they're just like knocked unconscious by the car crash i think is the gist okay of what we're supposed to think i think okay because otherwise i feel like there would be more of a trail on that i think what's happening is those people are going to trial Mm. instead of him or his goons and they're being like i don't have any memory of it i was in a dream There's a pretty arresting scene in the middle act of this movie where like the one guy who didn't get in a coma, I think they said, Mm -hmm. is like in the hospital 
they like mind control him again and then he's about to go full birdman out the window yeah and he's just like sitting on the edge of the hospital window and peter has or spider-man has to like get up and save him and bring him around i feel like that's the most exciting hero moment that they have for spider-man in the whole movie you know, like the fight with the samurais is the best action, but there's nothing really particularly heroic about what he's doing there. But like when he saves the guy is like the most, I would say the most exciting and like involved I was in the stakes of the movie. Yeah. And then he gets involved sort of with that guy's granddaughter, Judy, who is trying to figure out what's going on with him. Mm-hmm. Peter does yeah. as Peter and they have like a little romance but of course she is now going to be mind controlled and that's another part of the whole thing you're right it is confusing why is he making why is he having to get more money if he's always already making money robbing banks or does he think they're on to him it's just not very well explained also there's a lot of science in this movie but it is not very much to do with the plot of this movie it just has to do with the fact that peter is a scientist But it doesn't really have a ton to do with the movie, except that he is picking up the radiation of the mind control waves. But the viewer puts that together long before young Peter does. Yes. We also see him build his web shooter fluid and like build the web shooters at one point. At the beginning, he has like a best friend or some sort of buddy in the Mm -hmm. science lab who's wearing a Captain America t-shirt. And it feels like since that's like the second scene that that guy is going to be a big part of the movie and then he never comes back. Yeah, that's true. In addition to the science, there's also a lot in this movie about Spider-Man's fraught relationship with the police, which is always sort of like a thing in flux in the comics and that these movies are going to get into in varying degrees. And it's really interesting here because Peter Parker becomes sort of like the main suspect for this crime because he's always sort of adjacent to the Um, things that are happening through his investigations. And of course they don't know that he's really Spider-Man. So like Spider-Man has to solve the case to prove Peter Parker's innocence, which is, I think like a cool little, that's always a fun element. Yeah. Yeah. The cop in this is really fun. And Jay, what's his name? Jay Jabber Jr.? Uh, J. Jonah Jameson. J. Jonah Jameson. (laughs) They're all good. Like, all the side characters in this are lots of fun. So, that brings me to my next question. Who is your MVP OTP? Um, I'm only taking off Peter Parker, other than Peter. Kind of difficult, and I also kind of don't want to reward this archetype, but I do think that the police captain... Captain Barbera is like the most dynamic performance in the movie after Mm. Nicholas Hammond. He's just like, I don't know, like really a character, like a fed up (laughs) cop who's so over it and is trying to figure everything out Uh and is like openly aggressive to Peter, uh, (laughs) openly conniving with the media with J. Jonah Jameson has some great speech towards the end where he's like, what am I going to do about the Spider-Man? I'm a police officer, not an exterminator. Yeah, that one's great. He says, the Bigfoot, the Tooth Fairy. So I don't know. He just really like livened up the joint when he was around. <laughs> sort of broke through this movie's mostly easy breezy California <laughs> mind control sort of vibes. Yeah. So I would give it to him. Emmett, who's your MVP? My MVP is this poor old man they had playing the villain in this movie. (laughs) Who at one point (laughs) in this movie, and I'm pretty sure it's the moment that I decided it was a bop. Okay, let me set the scene for you. They're in a room, and it's a pretty tight shot. And it's like on them, like from the waist up of him and Peter talking about something. And then he goes to leave. He says a line. He goes to leave. The camera pulls out. He walks towards the camera and down a newly revealed part of the set, down a hall, and Uh. he does it so slowly. He just does it like, oh, I guess I'm going to go over here now. Who knows? What might I do? And you're like, I was struck. I was like, never in my life have I seen an actor who was given less direction 
than that man just was. Like, they were really just like, no, baby, take your time with it. Like, find the door. Find it. And his line before that, I believe, is, excuse me, I need to go get some literature. And then he does that for five minutes. Then he don't, walks for five minutes, and it just becomes this whole other thing for five minutes in the middle of this movie. Unbelievable. For that alone. To your point about that shot, I just want to call out that this movie does, I think, really try in the cinematography department and a little bit in the production design department for having clearly no budget. I mean, like part of the thrill of watching this movie today is that it feels like if we made a Spider-Man movie with no funding on our phones, (laughs) this is basically what we could do. Do, when you say no budget, do you mean you can find one or it literally shot for zero dollars? No, they clearly did have some sort of budget because he he does actually swing between those two buildings. And I read that that oh. took them like three days to do and they just shot it from a billion angles so they could use it as many times as possible. That's funny. There's all that interesting stuff because they can't like show the web slinging really. Uh-huh. So they've gotten clearly like the stuntman to basically like the equivalent of a GoPro 30 years before. He's just oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. taped a camera to his head and he's like jumping around and grabbing at trees and gargoyles and stuff. And you can always hear him be like, oh, ouch. It's like an almost interesting POV sort of perspective of Spider-Man while he's slinging around. That's true. It is inventive. It does like actually try in in that respect. And I don't know, it's all just buoyed by that music. But how many montages do you think are in this movie? If you were to estimate. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, what? no future spoilers, but less than our Spider-Man 2002. I'll tell you that. Okay, fair point, fair point. Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, I just want to call out two other performances I want to give a shout out. First of all, one to, I think the character's name is Robbie, who is sort of like the other reporter working at the Daily Bugle. He's from the comics too. And he's pretty good in this movie. Sort of like the voice of reason to J. Jonah Jameson. So I like him. And I really like the main sort of love interest. Mm. Lisa Ilbacher playing Judy. Yes. Her character is very like naturally weaved throughout the plot. Like it doesn't feel in any way like, like she is never really a damsel in distress or just sort of like a basic love interest. Like her, her role in the plot is like primarily functional. And then like off to the side, her and Peter also kind of like each other and then yeah. they just sort of like sweetly hold hands and walk off together at the end yeah and that's sort of like them their consummation of their relationship so i really like all of that stuff and you're like you're like worried about her because she's gonna because you think she's gonna be one of the 10 to kill herself too so she's like woven in there not as a damsel in distress but as like a person in peril with everybody else as she is and she's like walking to the train stop but then like it's not like Spider-Man has to come and right. save her. In fact, it is that Peter Parker is also under the mind control. And uh, so yeah. like, then he just has to bust out. I will say, I think that he's a very good Peter Parker. We don't get a ton of the Spider-Man personality. Oh, yeah. At the very end, there's like a little moment that I thought was pretty good where he comes back after and the samurai are still there. And he's like, all right, fellas, enough's enough. <laughs> A couple little funny moments at the very end, but mostly this is sort of like a Peter Parker focused origin story. Yeah. And in that sort of like Elseworlds way, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, Emma, any final thoughts from your end? Here's the thing. And I put the question to you. Do you think we should watch Spider-Man Strikes Back, which I cannot believe it is called, or (laughs) Spider-Man Challenge of the Dragon? (laughs) I am a little bit scared, too. Do you think it's it's worse, better, different? I think it's a pretty different thing than this movie. But my guess is that Hammond is still pretty good in all of them. So I would kind of just like to see more of his performance. Uh, yeah. The characters and the vibe and the thrust of the show are very different. And and even the music, like which is such the saving uh, grace of this movie, that it is so funkadelic. Yeah. And that it kind of 
feels like you're watching a black exploitation movie about <laughs> this <laughs> skinny poor grad student. <laughs> yeah, that's the charm, and I don't think that stuff is there in the show as much. I I am interested in the show now. Unfortunately, this has just like all been such a delight <laughs> to to remember it again for the first time. If you know what I mean. <laughs> See it once more with new eyes, as George Lucas once put it in a preview for the Star Wars (laughs) re-release. Okay. I have to rag on this movie because I also love it. And otherwise, people are just going to come for the fact that I love it. But it's good. It's worth it. This movie is at least as worth it as Don't Look Up. So... Let's yassify to Spider-Man 1977. (laughs) I'm sure in God knows how many months when we do our ranking for all of these movies, people are going to come for me for my enjoyment of this movie too. I'm unashamed. Yeah. I mean, why should you be ashamed of enjoying movies? And I think that's what I think we, we get away from this too often. We talk about themes. We talk about, drama we talk about whatever Mm -hmm. it's about enjoyment you know you're sitting down to escape your horrible humdrum awful misery inducing life for 90 blessed minutes (laughs) have something enjoyable happen yes we are going to go with something that is fun and light and an easygoing vibe thank you those are my Mm -hmm. final thoughts This movie. Let's get into our quiz, which today is going to be themed around the television movies. Wait, I'm so sorry. Oh God, no! (laughs) Okay. The good news is that most of these movies are just people's names. The bad news is that most of these movies are about horrible things happening to people. The movie, the first movie on this list, is from 2014. It is, let's see, an NC-17 rated film directed by a famous television director now and written by the playwright who wrote a play of the same name in 1985. So this is an adaptation by the playwright of his previous play of the same name from 1985. And this is a TV movie? Like, it came yes, on, it, like, cable? Made for TV. When I tell you that this stars fellow alums of School of the Arts, when I tell you this is an AIDS play, does this ring any bells? All right. Is it Angels in America? It's not Angels in America. It was also on HBO, though. It's more recent. It starred Mark Ruffalo, Taylor Kitsch, Jim Parsons... Alfred Molina. Oh. Joe Mantello. Oh, no, I'm not so sure. Julia Roberts. Is it The Boys in the Band? It's not The Boys in the Band, although that's an excellent guess. Can you give me some hints about the title? It's about a part of the body. It's about a part of the body being ordinary. If you were to say it was the an ordinary version of this organ, you would be... A normal heart? Yes, that is correct. The normal heart. Um, based on the okay. play from 1985 by Larry Kramer, directed by Ryan Murphy, put on film in 2014 oh, wow. with all those all those people that we were talking about. Here we are. The 1998 biographical drama details the life of a person whose name I can't say because it is the name of the movie, a top fashion model of the 1970s, and depicts her spectacular rise to fame in the modeling industry and her tragic and untimely death. Angelina Jolie stars as the main character, who is widely considered by many to be the first official supermodel. Oh, is this Gia? That is correct. Nice work. This next film is a 1983 sci-fi drama, which hypothesizes a fictional war between the NATO forces and the Warsaw Pact country that culminates in a full-scale nuclear holocaust between the United States and Soviet Union. Uh, The film is famous for having been deeply personally affecting to Ronald Reagan when he viewed it. Said, very effective and left Hmm. me severely depressed. 
Uh, it was nominated for 10 Emmy Awards and won two and is one of the highest rated television films in history. Its name is also very similar to a different end of the world movie starring Jake Gyllenhaal from the mid 2000s. No, because I'm just thinking of Donnie Darko. But that's in the 90s. <laughs> similar, not similar to War of the Worlds. Not similar to War of the Worlds. More similar to I Am okay. Legend, but still not that similar. Do you, do you think I would have heard of this? Like, have you heard of I this? I had heard of this. Now? I mean, to me, I had already heard of it for its like famous thing when it made Ronald Reagan cry, basically. And made, it's like part of what made Reagan in the 80s want to start like nuclear disarmament with the Russians and like kind of try and walk back some of that Cold War stuff was because of like seeing this movie and like seeing the kind of horrors that could happen. Okay, I don't think I know. It's really hard to reference anything about the name without just giving it away. The name of the movie is The Day After. Oh, okay. Yeah. This next film is the 1971 feature-length directorial debut of a cinema icon who we have talked about before on this podcast. Uh, We have not covered this person as a director. is this... uh, What is it called? Duel? It is. It is Steven Spielberg's first action thriller duel. Yeah, uh, centers on a business commuter who finds himself chased and terrorized by a malevolent driver of a massive tractor trailer. I've always heard about this film. I've never seen it. Many a guy in my dad's generation has told me how great this movie <laughs> is and how much I need to watch it to really get <laughs> movies. Maybe so. I haven't seen it. So maybe I just don't get movies yet. It's quite, as can be evidenced by almost two years of this podcast, that's quite the possibility. Well, I'd love to watch it someday as the start of a Steven Spielberg Ooh, miniseries. That right? would be incredible. Who said that? I would be into that. So this movie is Rob Cohen's 1998 HBO drama. It showcases both the private and public lives of some certain iconic entertainers. It also goes by the name that those four entertainers went as collectively. Is this a Beatles movie? It is not a Beatles movie. It dramatizes their often volatile relationships with each other and their famous friends. When I say famous jazz singers from the 40s 50s when i say cute little pork pie hats and suits on stage when i say he sang at the godfather's wedding come on man is this a rat pack movie yes it is called the rat pack that is correct excellent work wade This next film is from 1975. It's an anthology horror flick. It contains three segments, each based on unrelated frightening short stories by the author Richard Matheson, features Karen Black in four different roles. The TV movie helped establish Black as a horror film performer and has earned a reputation as a cult classic. It's not a Twilight Zone movie, though. No, it's not. Okay, so to give you a hint about the name, this name refers to a series of three uh trinity and then a word that describes fear that also begins with a t <laughs> trio terrors you're very close um trinity of terror i'm going to watch the prequel i'm going to watch <laughs> the original and then i'm going to watch no screw it in the lord of the rings blank oh oh trilogy of terror that is correct I've never seen it, but it looks pretty good. Okay, wow. Uh, this next one, based on the book by prosecutors Vincent Bugliosi and Kurt Gentry, 1976's blank, details the investigation and trial of the horrific Tate LaBianca massacre mass murders committed by the Charles Manson family. Um, is this called Manson? Okay, so the name of this movie is also the name of the Beatles song that they referenced there, which you two also famously covered. Oh, is it Helter Skelter? That is correct. Next up, number... I don't even know. We've still got more of these. We've got more of these. (laughs) It's widely regarded as the finest sports movie and one of the most emotional films ever made. 
That's inc- that's incredible. I'm sorry. I'm reading that sentence for the first time. And that's, Rudy? That's a, that's a wild sentence to read. That is one of the most emotion, emotional films ever made. Uh, 1971's ABC movie, and it recounts the real-life relationship between Chicago Bears football players Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers, depicting their differing temperaments and racial backgrounds and Piccolo's tragic terminal cancer diagnosis. Uh, the film stars James Caan and Billy D. Williams as the beloved athletes. I don't know what this is, but I would like to see it. It's called Brian's Song. <laughs> Second to last movie on this list. 1973's made-for-television horror film centers on a couple who inherits an old Victorian mansion and discovers a hideous goblin-like creatures lurking beneath a sealed fireplace wreaking havoc on the pair. Visionary mastermind Gilmel D'Artoro wrote and produced a 2010 remake of this movie starring Katie Holmes and Guy Pearce and helped draw attention to the original once again. The esteemed director praised the 1973 picture saying, it was something close to my heart for a very long time. Interesting. It's also like a phrase. This is a movie that is a phrase that people would say. Oh, um, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army? Gilmer del Toro did not direct this, but he directed a remake of it. He was inspired. But does the remake have the same name? The remake has the same name, yeah. But Hellboy 2 is not a remake. That's all original content. That's straight from the mastermind himself, my guy. Crimson Peak, Pan's Labyrinth, Nightmare Alley. Try something that your parents would tell you before you went to sleep. Don't come home. You're so close. Um, before I went to sleep. Okay. Um, sweet dreams. Sleep tight. Uh, don't let the bed bugs bite. You're in the you're in the realm. You're nearing the realm, the cone of possibility. Good night. <laughs> it's don't be afraid of the dark. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The last one. A nineteen seventy two horror mystery movie. Any thoughts? I don't know. I have no I have no thoughts head empty. The night stalker. You really kill me when you do these TV, TV-focused it's, it's ones. Terrible. I'm thinking back to the Netflix vampire movies. Oh, God, I have no idea any of them. I think it's just exciting to see what's out there. You know, it's it's wild to me that these movies even exist. Anyway, up next in twelve weeks, we will be covering Jordan Peele's Nope. Until then, stay with us as we cover Spider-Man 2002, the movie. So good, they had to do it twice. <laughs> We're excited to talk about Toby Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, Willem Dafoe, and all that weird CGI coming up soon. Wade, anything to tell the listeners before we go? To tell the listeners, um, I would tell them to stay frosted. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.